Hi guys, uh, Mark O'Hare here for Wheeler Betting with the next in our new series of Meet the Experts. Obviously, we're in the midst of quite a surreal experience with the coronavirus pandemic locking the majority of Europe down. Uh, so obviously, hope you and your loved ones are safe and well. Uh, but with little sport on, we thought we would be a good idea to, to brush up on our own skills, speak to the Wheeler betting team about their own experiences in betting and football, uh, and then invite some of the industry's leading stars to share their tricks of the trade. So now we've got something a little bit different. It's an audio interview with Mark Stinchcombe. Uh, Mark and I have worked together numerous time and times in the past few years. Uh, he never ceases to amaze me, really, or impress me with his knowledge, insight, his expertise and his unique ways of looking at betting. Uh, but rather than me introduce him to you, uh, I'm going to hand it over to Mark now to give you guys uh, a brief rundown on who you are, Mark, your roles in the industry, what you do uh, and why you're here, basically. Thanks, Mark. That's a very nice introduction. Thank you. Um, I am a football odds compiler and trading analyst for a German sports betting company. I've been working there for nearly two years now. My main role really is to compile the outright odds for the Bundesliga, uh, Bundesliga 2, Bundesliga 3 and then any special markets that we might want to offer. Um, before that, I was working as a professional gambler, I suppose, for, for a couple of years with some freelance work. And then before that, I sort of began my professional betting career, if you like, as a in-play trader at Labrooks for three years trading football and tennis uh, as well as a, a few other sports. Nice one okay well um, I've sent out basically 13 questions to be answered by the, the WL team, WLB team and um, obviously the industry experts I mentioned including yourself. Um, I've got a couple of bonus questions one here uh, and a few others as well, which people have sent in as well. So uh, we'll crack straight into it. Uh, quite easy to start with, basically, going right back to the beginning. Uh, when did you first start betting and can you remember your first bet? So I didn't really get into betting until I was of a legal age, I suppose, not until I went to university. And it wasn't even straight away. I was, uh, I'd recently sort of discovered poker, um, played a few tournaments at uni and uh, did all right and then then a mate of mine introduced me to a weekend coupon down at the uh, the local corals um and uh i was like wow this this you know this looks this looks amazing i i you know i've got i would say i've got a decent football knowledge i enjoyed watching syria growing up um world cups etc and uh played a lot of championship manager so i thought it'd be uh thought it'd be easy to make money but uh wow no nowhere near <laughs> <laughs> yeah this does seem to be the case i think we've all kind of been down that road ourselves but uh, in terms of yourself uh what sports or leagues do you focus on and, and bet on yourself uh, i used to bet on football tennis and darts but but nowadays it's, it's just mainly football um i kind of discovered there's there's life outside of, of betting. Um, when I live on a sunny Mediterranean island, um, and while, whilst I miss following tennis and darts in depth, um, I think it's important not to spread yourself too thinly. Uh, I quite like to get back into those one day, but uh, for now, I think there's probably more value in football. I think with the way the industry is going, with more and more data being freely available. I think it's a lot easier to model 1v1 sports such as tennis and darts, whereas football is obviously made up of 11 players uh, on a team. Um, so there's a, there's a lot more variables thrown into to what makes the price. Um, so I think football's a uh, there's a lot more value uh, in that side of things. And then in terms of leagues, um, mainly, mainly the top leagues. Um, I don't really delve into... Championship League One and League Two. Uh, I kind of admire the people like yourselves that are able to spend their time um, finding edges there. But uh, I tend to uh, use that sort of extra time to focus on some of the the summer leagues, such as the MLS, uh, the Allsvenskan, and 
and Brazil, uh, which keeps me ticking over during the summer as well. So it's quite nice to follow those during the, the winter months. Um, but uh, there is a limit. Australia is far too early in the morning for me. I tried that for a bit and, wow, it's too hard. It's not worth the effort. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, in terms of those sort of leagues um, and the football side of things, what sites, what sources, how do you follow those leagues? Um, in terms of like scores and results, I just use uh, live score really on, on my phone. I quite like how clean, quick and and efficient it is and you can get all the top level data quite easily in terms of uh, you know who's played uh, basic statistics so it gives you gives you a very quick summary of how how the match played out uh, in terms of maybe focusing on the the leagues a bit more closely probably probably twitter um, mm-hmm. some of the like the guys like the official reporters they they you know they write some good articles that um you know you only have to spend a few minutes reading them and you you sort of learn something new about the the weekend results or something like that so um uh, to be honest mainly i kind of infer infer the, the results myself really and then just do a bit more reading reading around to to brush up i suppose yeah just on that i mean you cover the bundesliga obviously for your day job um the bundesliga english website I think it's absolutely outstanding from a content perspective in terms of uh, team news previews, rundowns of matches and various other bits and pieces of content. It's, uh, it's another one I definitely recommend if you're, uh, you know, for, for me as a European football fan, often finding English language websites with uh, reliable and accurate, da- accurate data and, and content can be quite hard to find. But I don't know if you've looked at the Bundesliga website, but it's, it's, it's exceptional really for, from my perspective anyway. Yeah, it's very uh, good. They do they do a lot of uh, really nice articles um, that yeah. that look outside the you know the weekend results and look a bit more at a bigger picture or you know focus on a a particular player that's you know a, a rising youngster or something like that. So so yeah. so it's very good. But uh, I like how you touched on the, the English language thing because uh, right click Google Translate is is an invaluable tool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my, my free translation tools uh, often get worked out pretty well in the week. Um, your favourite websites for research then? So the first one's easy, like Soccerway. It's it's the absolute bible for me. I I love going on there. Um, I could literally go on there with thinking I'm going to be on there a couple of minutes, and then it's like two hours later, and I'm like, <laughs> oh my days, where where's the time gone? You know, I'll be looking at sort of last season's Champions League. Um, knockout stages to you know see what happened and then all of a sudden like how did Marlos become a nat- nationalized Ukrainian like when did that <laughs> even happen it's, <laughs> it's mad but uh, I was fantastic I love going back in time you know and you know Martin Palermo missing three penalties and you randomly come across it and it's 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 fantastic so yeah Sokoway uh is is my favorite and then the other one I like is who scored because you can drill down a bit further in terms of like a team's formation, players' positions, uh, team and player performance data. It's uh, it's quite good in terms of that because the the data comes from Opta, so you know it's reliable. Yeah. In terms of stats, then uh, anything you consider really important? Is there a hierarchy you look towards? Uh, expected goals, shots, that kind of thing. Any any stats that stand out to you? Does the I thought about this. Does does the closing price count as a stat? It can do, yeah, for sure. Because I think the things you mentioned, you know, expected goals, expected points, shots, shots on target, etc., etc. You know, they're all they're all important, but you know, they're normally built into the the price. I would say most of the time. Um, sort of the exception being maybe if a key player is missing or there's a motivation aspect let's let's say um, Champions League teams already qualified uh, I think Inter for example 8 to 15 at home to Barcelona in the in the final group stage games so obviously you wouldn't be able to use that price in your long-term calculations but yeah I would I would say the the closing price for me is the the most important uh, you just by looking down results you can see a correlation from week to week based based on the closing price so f- for me uh, especially if you just want to quickly look to to verify something then yeah the closing price is the most important interesting okay and in terms of i'm going to flip it around now and say uh, which stats or trends do you think are irrelevant to when you're kind of sitting down to, to look at your weekend betting 
again, I struggled on this one a little bit. I can't think of anything specific because I think all stats tell a particular story. And now maybe we don't think that story is relevant in perhaps this particular match or something. But you know, they're all they're all they're all there for a reason. I I think maybe if someone was to mention, you know, I don't know, say Newcastle, who are something like 12th or 14th in the in the Premier League, they they probably average one of the lowest possessions in the league. But uh, that doesn't necessarily mean they're bottom of the league. They, you know, they play to their strengths and their strengths are probably that they're quite well organised. So perhaps, you know, that possession there does, does tell us something interesting. I'll tell you one thing that I think does get a bit of a bad rep that I quite actually like is, uh, is head to head. I find them, I find them invaluable when assessing derbies. So yeah. for me, when I'm looking, so I looked this weekend at FC Minsk against Dinamo Minsk in the very well-known Belarusian Premier League. <laughs> Yeah. And I, I wanted to know in that derby, our team more frightened of losing than not winning the game. And by looking at their historical results, you could see that there were a few no-nos in there. So you could see quite clearly why. I mean, I think the goal expectancy on that one was about 2.2. So it's pretty low. So you could see why it was quite low, because as a rule, I would say those two teams are more frightened as I say of losing and actually going out and, and trying to win the game and you know leaving gaps. Okay no, it's an interesting concept I'm, I'm not massively uh, in fan of, of kind of looking at head-to-head records but I do absolutely back you up there about derbies and certain individual matches where uh, it definitely can play a huge role. I'm more against it when you hear teams like Newcastle haven't won uh, at Scunthorpe in 67 years and they've yeah, only played I mean, there twice in that time. Exactly. Absolutely yeah. irrelevant. That makes no sense. But when you think about maybe even like t- going away from the derby side of things, say like Barcelona v Atletico, you know, mm. there's been times when they've been playing each other five, six times a season. Yeah. And there, there's an obvious pattern to how those games play out. So it makes sense to, to look at the previous games. Yeah, for sure. Um, just in your last answer there, you mentioned um, goal expectancy. And uh, I wanted to ask you about that, really, because it's something I've heard you talk about uh, on many podcasts before on your Twitter account as well. Uh, you'll refer to teams being in for a certain amount of goals pre-match, which is based on the, the goal expectancy, goal supremacy allocated to each team before the game. Can you just explain to listeners what you mean by that, how they can work that out for themselves and, and figure it out? Just a, a bit of background to that. So the fo- a football match, in order to calculate the main markets, you only require two inputs. So you need the amount of goals you expect to happen in the match and then how many goals better one team is than the other and then from that you can infer you know the match odds the total goals even things like both teams to score and the home team to win things like that Um, in order to, to to find that information obviously if you look on a a standard bookmakers website you look at the total goals it would generally be you know under eight to eleven overs evens or something like that so that's not going to tell you the the amount expected in the game but if you go on a spread betting website and you just take the midpoint of the uh, spread so if you go on like spreadx.com or sporting index you'll see a a buy and a sell quote. So the buy will be like 2.5 and the sell will be like 2.7. So then you know that the goal expectancy in that game is 2.6. And so I think, let's say if the goal expectancy, I think is like 2.7, that means that the fair odds are going to be evens for either side over under 2.5 to give you a reference. And then in terms of uh, goal expect, uh, sorry, in terms of supremacy, zero would mean that both teams are equal favourites. Often you might see that perhaps on a a final of some sort if it was going to be a a close game. Um, But let's say that like one team is like I don't know one goal uh, favourite in the game. Um, In order to calculate how many goals will be scored in the game uh, by uh, each team, sorry, um, you would do the 
total goals in the game minus the supremacy and then you divide that by two and that will give you the underdogs expected goals and then obviously to get the the favorites expected goals you'll just take the underdogs xg away from the the total xg yeah. and then that'll give you numbers to work with um in terms of like doing um your own sort of prices based on those if you just sort of do a little google search for like correct score matrix it's quite easy to build something basic in order you know in excel to sort of make your own sort of uh, compilation tool if you like and uh, you can have a little play around with it uh, I think what's really nice about football um, is the fact that it only relies on those two numbers to give you so many different markets. Um, I think it's from from a, some, from somebody that's quite mathematical uh, based. Uh, I think it's it's quite nice that it's it's so simple. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you often hear um, you're talking there earlier about the the stat, which is the most important, being the closing price and. You're often told to not look at odds checker before you kind of have your own tissue, if you like, your own price for what to expect from the game. And then to go onto odds checker and check your your own odds against the, the market, see if there are any uh, differentials there. But uh, I guess for the majority of uh, punters or for listeners to this, they probably don't know how to go about creating their own odds. So I'm sure uh, the previous couple of minutes there of you talking there was, uh, was certainly help. And as you know, Google is your friend. So if you don't understand anything, go and whack it into Google and, and see where you can come. But uh, let's move on now. Um, I want to see or, or hear basically what your biggest lesson uh, you've learned in betting has been since you first started. Uh, so I would say to try and only take value mm-hmm. and to uh, stake accordingly because I would say it's pretty pointless if you've got like a really good value bet, but then you just have like a minimum stake on it because you're not taking advantage of how good that price is shall we say i mean if you if you know if you need to be aggressive you know you need to go for it because if you, if you hang about you know the next week the price for the same outcome on a different event might, might be gone or even for the let's say you're looking on a monday and there's a great price for saturday and you you know you have you sort of you know think twice and you're not sure and then by tuesday it's gone it's too late um so yeah, I would say I would say obviously it's important to take value, but then you know there's no point no point taking the value if you're not going to stake properly. So yeah, that's you know those two go hand in hand, really. Um, and then in, I, I think it's quite nice, but in terms of uh, you know a life lesson from betting without trying to go too deep, you know you need to remember there's a whole world outside. You can sit for you know all weekend in your den or your study. <laughs> You know, surrounded by spreadsheets, you know, actually there is, you know, there's quite a lot of nice things you can do outside as well. So don't forget that. Uh, You mentioned value there, I think is one of the most overused words in the betting industry, (laughs) quite often used in the wrong way as well. But uh, what is value and why is it important in betting? So value essentially is when your odds are lower than the available odds so the probability you think of something happening is higher than the odds are available and you know in terms of making a profit long term if if you're not betting value the majority of the time then then you're going to be on to a loser um as i say from the previous question it's important to, to to state properly in in my opinion i mean let's say let's say you've got sort of two two to one shots and one of them you make evens and the other one you make six to four in my mind you've got to be having twice as much money on the even money shot because mm-hmm. it's you know it's twice as much value as the the six to four one so let's say you have two points on the even shot you need to make sure you have one point on the on the six to four chance yes the six to four chance might win and the even one might lose so you're gonna be down even though you're you've won one bet lost one bet but in the long term you're gonna make more than you lose Good stuff. Good insight. Um, now, uh, I'm going to kind of uh, fuse the next two questions together because um, it was going to be, a, you know, have you got any advice for punters looking to try and find an edge? But I think your edge tends to be delivered around backing underdogs, backing nil-nil correct scores. You like your big odds. Can you just explain why that is and, and your thought process behind the edge there and uh, why you like to basically swim against the tide, I guess? That's a, that's a good question. Um... 
I mean, for me, I'm going to get more excited about backing a 9 to 1 shot than an 8 to 11. You know, I don't, I'm don't really, not really going to get that excited spending hours and hours <laughs> a week. And then on a Saturday, I'm cheering on a, an 8 to 11 chance to, you know, yeah. not even double my money, so to speak. So for, I prefer to spend spend that time, you know, taking chance on, on a few, few, you know, big outsiders. Um, for me, I think I'd rather have like, you know, six or seven nine to one losers and then, you know, one nine to one winner. Yeah. which obviously more than makes up for those losers and will get and will probably give me a bit bit of profit on the top as well i just i just in, in my in my mind it's a you know it's a bit more exciting um i can probably you know in horse racing for example that you know that's what you're doing i guess the majority of the time you're not you know you're not really going to be back in odds on shots on a, on a regular basis whereas in football you know i guess as a as a professional most people are going to be doing that you know normally asian handicaps um so as you know as i'm as for me it's kind of you know i I wouldn't i wouldn't it's not obviously not my full-time job but i would i you know i approach it as as a job if you like um but uh, but i'm not spending you know because i have my own job anyway so i'm not spending hours and hours so for me it makes sense to to take bigger prices you know and rather than worry about eight to eleven chances um and and I, I just think there's um, after all the money's been you know put into the market, as, as you as yourself will already know and see all the time, so so many favourites you know get backed, can get backed past past their true price. So then it just opens up all sorts of avenues for for the underdog, you know, draw no bet, um, them to you know them to score over a certain amount of goals, um, them to score first. Um, you know, it just opens up all sorts of, you know, they could lose, you know, they could lose like 5-2, but if they've scored first and, and you've backed them to score over one and a half goals at nice prices, then, you know, then you're still going to win. Yeah. So, yeah, for me, just because because now because I'm not focused in, entirely on it on a on a week to week basis. For me, uh, I, I have I you know I get more enjoyment out of, out of doing the big prices. And also the I think the nil nils has been ingrained into me for <laughs> for years because like everybody else you know everyone gets excited about you know big matches world cups european championships etc and then you go and sit in the pub and and you watch it and you're just watching this drab affair where players have spent you know nine months playing for their clubs they're exhausted they're playing in hot conditions maybe um or maybe they're playing at strange kickoff times um you know, both, both perhaps both teams. This is their hardest game in the group, for example, and you know they're happy to take a draw and move on to the easier games. Oh, and it just makes for a you know a, a terrible experience, I would say, and for something that should be really nice watching a football match. So yeah, mm-hmm. I think from a very early period, I've ingrained myself in into betting on on nil nils and that because then at least you get something out of it at the end of it you know when everyone turns around and goes oh that was a horrendous match and you just sort of like grin and agree but you know yeah. in, you know in your pocket you you know you took you took the nil nil at a you know at 12 to 1 or something early days so um yeah and I think just from experience I've, I've got a really good insight into you know what factors make up uh, a potential sort of nil-nil match, and then obviously uh, the experience of of what the odds should be based based on those factors. I was going to ask you, have you got a specific checklist for backing an underdog or or a nil-nil in terms of you know you mentioned there the schedule or the weather, team news, mentality, form, data, anything like that, or is it just a kind of combination of everything? Yes, yeah, it's, it's probably as with like most of my bets, I would say it starts off with like a gut feel. Mm-hmm. When I'm, when um, I think before you said, you know, come up with your, this is what some people might do. They come up with their prices, then then look at the odds. I'm I'm the other way around. I'll look at the odds first. Yeah. Or maybe I'll have an idea in my mind how the game might play out, and then I'll look at the odds and I and you know for a nil nil for example, I'll be like, oh, okay, well, I think uh, let, let's try and think of it of an example. Um, 
uh, I don't know, maybe ah, one recently I I did um, Bayern Munich against Leipzig in in the Bundesliga. Yeah. Uh, which which doesn't really fall in into you know a derby or whatever. But it was a big game, and both teams were I think maybe Bayern with maybe one point clear at the time or two points, and um, and I you know I watched the opening like 10-15 minutes, and I was like basically this is this is Bayern just attacking, but with with caution. You could see there were there were times that normally perhaps like Nabry would try and commit his fullback and. And he was just passing it back to Thiago or something. And I checked the odds and the odds were like 36 or something for, for nil nil. <laughs> so, so, you know, I thought I was worth, you know, worth a small bet. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I have to make it clear that the, the nil nils that, that I play, they're generally just like half a point max. You know, it's, it's, you know, it's important to, to stake sensibly because, you know, it only takes, I mean, the Minsk, the Minsk Derby, I'd back nil nil in the Minsk Derby on Saturday. Uh, the odds weren't, weren't great they were only like 8.5 but uh, I thought it was worth a small bet and there was a goal in the first minute so straight away the bet's lost yeah so um you have to be conscious that obviously generally in football matches there are goals so you have to be conscious that as soon as there is a goal then 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 your bet will lose but but generally I'll I'll look at the the odds and have an idea how the match will, will play out in my mind and then like you say I do have a few things I'll check to see if if I can justify essentially placing the bet at, at the odds. So and there'll be, as I say, like checking the head to head historically, um, checking the league table. But as I said, with the, the Bundesliga example there, you know, both teams probably be happy to take a point and then uh, move on to, to the other games. Um, if they've had any nil nils recently, you know, maybe their their attack isn't firing. Uh, perhaps there's somebody out injured. You know the results will, will, will tell you will tell you will tell you that without needing to know that in advance. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, generally generally a gut feeling. And even if I even if I can't like fully justify, I'll just have a very very small bet. Because for me the worst thing is when you check the scores at the end of the day and you and you haven't and you haven't placed that bet. And I'm like, oh my god, I knew yeah. I knew that could have happened at the price. Yeah. Why didn't why didn't I back it? So. Yeah, I would rather have a very small bet and it lost than not bet not bet it at all, and obviously it goes on to win. Okay, um, let's move on now to sort of more general betting questions. Um, can you remember your biggest win, uh, either in terms of odds or, or cash winnings, and do you know how you spent it or anything like that? Uh, so a few years ago, I had a two thousand three hundred to one wow. treble come in. Uh, oh, I think I remember this seeing this on on social, yeah. Which which was quite nice. I didn't post it on Twitter because uh, yeah. well I don't I don't need to, but uh, I also <laughs> I also knew that uh, people wouldn't like it, so uh, that that hasn't gone on there. Um, but that was quite nice. That was three three football matches all to finish nil nil, uh, which was pretty good. Um, the plan was to spend that on a new car to replace the one I won. Uh, actually, when Spain won the Euros in 2012, um, I just I just started at Labrooks in uh, in London in the summer of 2011, and the day before I was due to start, my car broke, which is a nightmare. Uh, and I was driving around for a year in my uh, granddad's 1995 Rover, which is a superb vehicle, I have to say, <laughs> with a very nice sunroof, which I do miss. Um, <laughs> So I set myself a target to to win as much money um, in a year so I could buy a new car and I kind of targeted Spain winning the Euro so I was backing them every week which was quite nice uh, and and that worked out quite well but yeah um, this money I'm I'm yet to spend as I've I've moved countries but uh, I've got it earmarked for for a new vehicle or I guess maybe I'm supposed to grow up and buy a house or something but uh, you know that's not that much fun Why, why would you want to buy a house and have to spend you know your time cleaning it with rooms that you never go in like for me that's I've got zero interest in that I guess maybe you get cleaner um anyway that's a that's a completely that's a completely separate conversation um, <laughs> <Separate podcast. laughs> um in terms of like a single bet I had a nice uh 250 to one winner when Usman Dembele scored hat-trick for Ren. Uh, that gets a bit of bad rep but it's actually quite got quite a nice story behind it um I didn't have a job 
Um, I couldn't walk because I just broke, I just tore my ankle ligaments. And uh, I was a bit worried how I was going to pay the rent for the next few months. And uh, thankfully, Dembele popped up and uh, got me back on my feet, uh, so to speak, uh, which is oh, quite nice. But I think it's actually in quite nice uh, with this question to touch on the biggest loser as well, because I okay. think it's important to stay uh, stay grounded. Um, so I had um, I had four figures on Spain to win the World Cup in in 2014, and as we all know, they went out after just two games. So I was obviously uh, you know didn't know didn't really know how I was going to react after that, you know. Mm. It's to 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 you know to outsiders and, and friends and that they you know they were like wow that's so you know that's so much money like how can you justify that and uh, I just left my job uh, to move to Ibiza for the summer um, I was hoping to have a lot of nice money to spend but I didn't um, uh, and then uh, I actually was I was out of work for a couple of years. Um, so to be able to sort of deal with having, you know, a huge loss and then no, no income, yeah. uh, it taught me, you know, an awful lot uh, about myself and, and about life. And um, I look on, I look back on that time quite fondly because it was quite a massive challenge, really, in order, uh, in order to, you know, survive us, shall I say. Um, it taught me quite a lot about betting because I realised how important it was to compile the right price because it was Im- yeah. imperative um so that that period actually was was re- I found really useful because um you know I thought I thought I was half decent at gambling at that point but uh you know I was nowhere near really and um and and being able being forced to you know come up with the correct odds was uh was really useful and, and giving me a lot of like good grounding for for future it's good you touched on it because one of the questions I had for you was how do you cope with losing bets or losing streaks Obviously, you had a massive life lesson there, but in terms of today, um, how would you cope if you, I don't know, let's say lost 10, 15 bets on the spin or even worse, potentially? It's, it's a great question because uh, I remember being asked this, um, I think last summer I did a podcast with um, Pinnacle and um, they asked about how you cope with losing bets and I was like oh yeah yeah it's you know after been doing it for you know like 10 15 years it's easy it's just you know you're used to it experience tells you that yeah it was decent value uh, I was just unlucky yeah easy wipe off but uh wow this this year the beginning of this year the, the first I mean I, I guess the whole up to uh, what we're into now nearly the end of March I had a had a shocking shocking 2020 to be honest um and it's it's tough because uh, you know when you get when you get ten ten losers in a row you're like what am I doing wrong you know yeah. why 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 is this happening um, and you start to to question your your approach really and you know am I making the right decisions am I you know staking the right amount etc should I have uh, you know maybe listened to that manager's press conference in Russian and had it translated etc um, no, that's a bit too far um, <laughs> but uh, you know you, you know you question you question yourself and you question your, your approach but I think experience experience teaches you that you you know your your approach is sound and you know you just have to be patient that your luck is gonna gonna swing back around um, so I try and try and embrace variance to be honest um, because uh, you know, if there wasn't variance, that you know, there wouldn't be anything to bet on because all the results would be predictable. So, yeah. I think you just have to, you know, be patient. And uh, sometimes you'll you'll get a winner when you know when you least expect it. I, I don't know about you, but maybe when I do my bets the weekend, you know, some of them I'll be, you know, I'll be really confident on. And uh, let's say you know, a place I don't know how many I place at weekend, maybe. 20 or 30 and you know there'll be three or four and be like yeah really really confident about these really excited and uh and you know they all blow out and you're like oh Mm -hmm. oh and then there's the you know the one the one that you that you had least least confidence in and and state the least uh and it and it comes in and rescues all, all the previous all the previous losers so um yeah you just have i think you just have to be patient as long as you're happy that the bets you're taking are value then yeah i think you just have to be you have to be patient and and accept that this is part of the game yeah i think that's very good advice because uh, similarly i've actually had a 
a wretched 2020 myself, um, complete crisis of confidence, trying to understand my own process and, and what's going wrong, analysing every single bet. And it can sometimes drive you a little bit mad. And, um, you know, everyone's completely different. Everyone's unique in their approach and, uh, and how they deal with this kind of stuff. Uh, so it's very hard to to have kind of one redeeming feature. But uh, you speak a lot of sense there. And it's often the case of just staying true to yourself and uh, and seeing out variance is, is a bit of a bitch at times. But, um, you know, sometimes you ride the waves and sometimes you, you've got to roll with the punches a little bit too. So um, I don't think there's, a, there's any one real correct answer to that. But uh, I can definitely kind of see parallels of my own uh, punting this year myself. So this, this break has done me a bit of good anyway with um, with uh, with a break from sports. But uh, in terms of your personal punting strategy, I presume you do review and, and track your winners and your losers, all your bets yourself? So I review my bets pretty much as soon as the games are finished of an evening. Um, I think this is hugely important in terms of shaping my pricing for the next round because for me generally most of the things I bet on I feel the edge that I have is going to last a few weeks so I need to make sure that what's happened in the previous game is inputted ready for me to take advantage of the next price as soon as possible essentially um, if it's a uh, match odds, for example, I look at things like expected goals, um, the shot count, um, and how how the game played out, basically, you know, to see if the the result was fair or, or maybe it was unlucky. And uh, if it's something like a goal scorer, uh, you know, I look at how many shots they've had, uh, what the location was, um, their heat map. Perhaps they were moved position during the game, so maybe maybe they were. Um, uh, a striker and uh, they were winning and so the manager moved him in, perhaps into a wide position to help defend um, you know things like that uh, in terms of you know tracking winners and, and losers um, I kind of just do that in my head to be honest uh, you know people might find that a bit strange uh, and turn their nose up at it but uh, in, in terms of like physically on a spreadsheet um, I just don't think it's worth the time um i'm very happy with 95 percent plus i would say of my bets of value um so the winners are just going to take care of themselves so for me that time is better used to just research my bets for the next day yeah i don't i don't think i'm not sh- i'm not sure if you're the same but i i don't may, maybe at the beginning maybe if you're you know at the very beginning of your gambling career or perhaps there's a new market you're testing out or something maybe if you're at the very beginning but I think if you're you're very happy with your approach and and um and the bets that you're taking I don't think it's the best use of time are you a, a bet early kind of guy in terms of you know it sounds like you're you're reviewing immediately after the final whistle are you then looking ahead to the the next weekend and placing your bets pretty much in the next 24 hours or are you waiting until sort of midweek and or towards the end of the week? My favourite time to bet is the night before or probably in my case the very early hours of the morning because uh, mm-hmm. I do quite enjoy a 3am grind on a Friday night before the Saturday matches. <laughs> um, I, for me, I, I like to have as much information about the match as possible. So, you know, injuries, um, manager quotes, um think just some like basic stats you know some of the agencies that you know provide the stats on a weekly basis they come out on like a Thursday I think on like BBC for example um, just I just like to have as much information available and kind of the last time for me you can still get a good price is the night before a game you yeah. know before the syndicates and the professionals of all are all betting on the day of the game when the liquidity and the limits are a lot higher so for me I like to take take the price um, the, the night before the game, essentially. Okay. Uh, and before we get on to the questions from uh, a few of the, the followers of Winner Betting, um, what's the best thing in your eyes about betting? I would say making free money on a, on a passionate hobby. So, you know, I would, I would be watching football. You know, I watch football, I play football, I follow football anyway, you know. 
if you're doing that, you know, being able to to make free money out of it is great. And then in in turn, I quite like being able. I, you know, this might sound a bit cheesy, but I like being able to, you know, treat my family and friends, you know, to nice presents at Christmas, birthdays, etc. You know, uh, holidays away. Um, I, yeah. you know, and being able to use, you know, money that has been uh, earned from football is is for me is is great. Good stuff. Okay. Um, first question we got was from Graham. Uh, quite current actually, and wondering if your position um, as an Oz compiler. You know, you might have a view on this or an idea about how this might happen. But uh, he asks, if the season doesn't finish, what happens to anti-post football bets? Are we all reimbursed? Is there cash out values or are they paid as winners uh, if the team are in you know, winning positions? Any view? Uh, I think it falls under different scenarios, essentially. So he said if the season isn't finished, is that correct? Uh, yes. So... Depends if he means the season is finished and prizes essentially are awarded for teams' current positions, or if, and hopefully this doesn't happen, the league is voided. I mean, if the league is voided, I, I, most betting companies' rules will state that the official government government or um or body of the league or sports decision is final so if, if the league is voided i would imagine all bets would be would be voided if the if the league is finished how it is and as i say results and trophies are, sorry trophies and rewards are given out then bets would stand so who's in the bottom three now in the in the premier league is it norwich Bournemouth uh, and Villa. I Villa, think. yeah, yeah. So if you bet, if you bet on any of those three to be relegated, the you know the official Premier League website would say they've been relegated. So your your bet would um, you know would win in that in that respect. Um, I'm ho- I'm hoping that uh, that the the FA and other countries find a way to to get the games finished i mean i know it'd be sad if, if that is without fans but uh just mm. think in terms of, of fairness and um you know in terms of of keeping the the competition uh, what's the word i'm looking for here um well, I think if, if you've played 80% of the season, it makes sense to try and finish the rest of the season as and when you can. Um, and if that means changing next season, then so be it. Because, well, that's my view anyway. Um, next view at the mo- next season for me right now is irrelevant. Let's try and finish this season. If that means kind of going back and playing in July or August or September to try and get it finished, I think we should. And then, you know, but uh, it's, <laughs> we could be here all day talking about... Um, what happens to our anti-post bets and what's going to happen with the football season. So Yes, integrity. Um, Competition integrity, I think, is important. If the league is, is finished now and the, the standings are as they are, bookmakers should pay out on the current positions. If the league is voided, uh, I would say that your, your bets are voided. I don't foresee a scenario where, because we're so far into the break now, uh, where the cash out will, will come into it. I think if cash out was to come into it, it would probably be on a customer basis. So I think if uh, if I, I think if people have, have got like a, a bet they would like to cash out, I think if you contact the bookmaker, they might avail you because they realise that then you can use that money to to gamble on something else, which is in their interest. Okay. Um, next question is uh, Jose Ribeiro. It's quite a, um, a mouthful, really, so I'll try and do this. Talking about statistics and non-performance variables, he says, let's keep expected goals out of this for the time being. Uh, so besides of goal difference, which do you feel are mandatory or worthwhile in a season analysis performance of a team? Any sort of non-mainstream stuff to keep an eye out for? Non-mainstream stuff? Um, I think this is probably one more for you, no? You got any <laughs> opinion on it? Because um, I know well, you delve into you know shots outside the box, shots in the area. They're they're non-mainstream, no? Yeah, um, I mean expected goals is obviously king, but now it's it's so widespread, and 
bookmakers are using it. Um, so, pro, I mean, you know more than I would there, but it seems like, uh, you know, you're not really going to get too much out of the expected goals model these days because bookies are already on it. So, yeah, I like delving deeper into the into just basic shot stats. You know, where were those shots taken from? And also goals, um, because it's such a low-scoring sport, goals are, are king. So, you know, where did those goals come from? Uh, deflected goals, uh, goals from set pieces, um, obviously scoring from corners is a lot less likely than uh, from open play, even though we're kind of, I guess we're bore, we're, we we get brought up in, in England to believe that a, a corner is almost like a, a penalty kick, you know, the <laughs> quite exciting, but uh, the reality is, is very different. So You know the uh, percentage of goals that are scored from corners? It's very low, isn't it? It's, I don't know off the top of my head, but uh, just you saying there, corners and penalties. Penalties, what, 80%? Yeah, corners um, way below 10%. But yeah, that's quite, I quite like that. You're right, people are obsessed that that corners, corners breed goals. Corners breed corners, basically. They don't don't breed goals. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's quite a different, difficult uh, question to answer. Potentially, there's some, some stats, some trends, some data out there, which I'm not aware of. I'm always trying to keep ahead of the curve of that sort of stuff. But uh, at the moment, still, I think expected goals is king. Uh, but at the same time, I'm also coming to the conclusion that it might almost be, um, you know, kind of over-egged a little bit too much. And, you know, kind of we're, we're losing the sort of traditional parts of, of uh, kind of picking winners basically you know team news is just as important to me really these days as expected goals um, but uh, we'll move on uh, Tom Love asks what's your favourite anti-post market to punt on and why uh, I'm not sure I'm not sure I have a favourite does does he mean like maybe a, a certain competition like Premier League winner or a certain type of market like I love betting on relegation markets, for example. Okay. No, no. Which which one do you think he means? <laughs> um, yeah, I think I think that probably is it. The, the the actual market rather than the the league or or nation. Oh, uh, I don't know. I'll give you my favourite instead because I'm not I'm not sure. I I probably say my favourite is like uh, for a big competition that's in in the future. So, so say like the the World Cup or um, the the Darts World Championship. Actually, I quite like that one. Um, I think because the liquidity is uh, fairly decent, then if you have a strong opinion about a player or or a team, you can um, you know start slowly sort of dripping your money in, into the market, and that that price is gonna is gonna hold fairly well. And then as you get closer, you're obviously going to have more information. So let's say in a in World Cup, as you get closer, you're gonna you're gonna know what the groups are. Uh, then you're gonna know who's going to be in each squad. Uh, then you're probably going to know who's in the starting eleven. And rather than having to you know unfold uh, a lot of money at, at one time, um, you can build up a nice pot that you don't you don't really notice. Um, yeah. So 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 let's say that I'll say you know like a long a long a long term. Uh, big competition market I think it's always it's always fun because the other thing is you end up looking at every week so then you really build up a a great picture of how the market's moved and how it's changed and then you can infer how it might change in the future Mm -hmm. so um, yeah I'll I'll go with that okay interesting Um, then we've got DJ Kevin Kilban I'm not sure if it's the actual Kevin (laughs) Kilban but uh, he asks about uh, in play betting Um, do you punt in play uh, where are your favourite in-play edges? To be honest, nowadays I I don't I don't really really bet in play. I think it's because I'm so meticulous that uh, you know I'll spend I'll spend an hour agonising over a bet sometimes. Um, and if I was to do that in a match, the game would be over. Um, so I don't really I don't really punt in play. I think the only time I would is. Um, I think we touched on it earlier. If if like I'm in the pub or with friends or something, can it's a massive match and the game starts a bit timid, then then I'll I'll, I'll have a bet on the on the nil nil probably or the or the unders. Um, yeah, I, I don't really I don't really do anything other than that. Okay, and the same person has asked, how do you get on in terms of how do you get your bets on? Because obviously you're you're quite a sharp mind, a sharp punter, so. Um, 
this is a question that's often kind of raised, and I think it's quite easy to answer if you know the tricks of the game. So I'll, I'll kind of pass it over to you there. How do, how do you avoid getting limited, or how do you get your bets on? Oh, well, I'm, I'm interested in hear, hear your answer now. I'm <laughs> going first. Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, I think there's, you know, I, I don't think there's any great science behind it, but I think it's, you know, value bets can be spotted a mile off, and if you're only batting, back, backing value bets, uh, beating the closing price every week, obviously you're going to get limited. But if you can intersperse your betting account with a few fun bets, and for me, as much as I like punting for uh, for profit, I also like punting for a, you know, a bit of fun really, and I like to sit down and you know, back a centre half to score at 40 to one first, and 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 you know, kind of back those big prices as much as I do like the backing the short prices. Um, and I think if your bet betting account is kind of showing a bit of bit of, bit of variety, um, backing what some people would still call muggy bets, then um, you're more less likely to go under the radar than if you're constantly. Uh, beating the market every week you're basically going to stand a little chance of keeping that betting account alive so um, obviously you need to have these bets and actually lose not lose but place that money place that stake money down but um, it kind of works for me because as much as I do like uh, you know trying to beat the market I also like those kind of fun bets where I am watching I don't know Super Sunday when it's Burnley against Stoke and there's not really a lot going on you know why not have a bet on a uh, a striker to be carded at 12 to 1 because he's putting a rash challenge in the first 10 minutes that kind of stuff you know it's that sounds uh, value though to me <laughs> you get the gist anyway it's just kind of just going uh showing i guess muggy tendencies as people would like to say i'm not sure i can add much more other than maybe the the time when you, when you're placing your bet um, if it's a very quiet Monday afternoon or something and you're taking something at the weekend, that's probably quite likely to be flagged up. But maybe if you can place it during the Monday night match, it'll perhaps go under the radar a bit more. That's interesting. OK, um, that's it, I think, Mark. Um, I'm sure I speak for all the listeners uh, as well as myself to say really appreciate your time, your insight. Uh, and your knowledge this afternoon. Um, I'm sure there's plenty of nuggets of information there from the conversation for people to, to work on. So thank you very much. Um, hopefully try and do this again sometime soon because um, obviously really value um, your input. So thank you. Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, be happy to you know, touch upon any further questions that, that come up from any of the topics we touched on. Great. Let's chat soon.